Essentially Grounded. I'm your host, Brian Willey, along with my co-host, John Kesslery. Episode 85 features the head coach of Roland Story High School, Matt Finn. Coach will discuss with us his career in coaching, his influences and mentors along the way, and the philosophy behind his electric offense, and discuss the staples of their program and leadership development that have helped catapult them into one of the premier programs in the state of Iowa. Season 4, Episode 6 of Intentionally Grounded with Coach Matt Finn starts now. We are joined tonight by Roland Story Head Football Coach Matt Finn. Coach, thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, thanks, coaches, for having me. Appreciate it. Coach, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background as a coach and what got you into the coaching profession. Yeah, so uh, I grew up um, – my dad was a, a, a coach from a, from a young age too. And uh, he actually coached mostly basketball and, and majority of the time it was girls basketball, but he coached a little bit of football too. And as I was going through my playing career, um, I just, I, I had great coaches, coach Schumacher and, and coach Duello at, at Vinton really inspired me and, and took an interest in me and showed me the, showed me the way, you know, show me how fun, uh, football could be if it was treated like a journey. Um, I remember, I think it was like my junior year of high school. Uh, my dad gave me coach K's book leading with the heart. And, uh, I, I, I think it was there probably after reading that, that I just felt like that, that was what I was going to do. And, um, I probably got away from that for a little bit in the first couple of years of college. I just wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And, uh, having one of those conversations with my dad and um, switch schools. And, and uh, he really encouraged me to, to get into that and said, you know, you, you talked about doing that for so long. And um, I was commuting, I was living with him and his place in, uh, in Manchester, Iowa and commuting to the university of Dubuque. And he said, why don't you, what I had a, a friend of the family was on the football staff and uh, he said, why don't you go in and, and see if Coach Wink has a spot for you and, and just offer to do whatever he needs help with and, and be willing to take on some of that stuff and just learn. And uh, so I went in there with Coach Emslin, the line coach, and I, I don't know why. I was, just, I was just scared. You know, I just didn't know. I didn't know what to expect. And I had actually grown up. My senior season was Wink's first year at West Delaware, and we played him week nine when I was at Vinton. And so he's this big intimidating guy and pretty stoic and, 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 you know, doesn't not a loud mouth or anything. And um, he just, he was just pretty welcoming. And, and then uh, man, from there, uh, everything just kind of took off for me. And, and uh, I really did try to be a sponge underneath him. And um, we, I can talk about that a little bit more later too, but um yeah, so from there, I, I spent a few years underneath of him, um, started as a sophomore assistant volunteer, um, receivers and, and linebackers. Um, the next year, uh, next couple years, um, went up to varsity with him and, and coach receivers. And uh, that was a couple fun years. I, I got to coach my, my brother um, on my dad's side um, and a, a semifinal run that we had. Um, and then went to the quarterfinals the year after that. And uh, I, <laughs> I, I just had the itch. I felt like, oh, I was ready to try this uh, head coaching thing. And uh, I, I was teaching at a difference. I actually taught for a year at my alma mater fresh out of college and continued to drive to Manchester, which was 50 minutes away, just so I could keep learning under Wink. 
Um, I, I just knew what he had going on there. There was, there was more I, I had to pick up. And um, so I, I kept making that drive. Well, I ended up getting, so I took a head job at East Buchanan, which is just down the road from West Delaware. Um, and this would have been going into my fourth year of, of coaching overall and definitely uh, not, not ready for that. You know, I, I just didn't know what I didn't know at the time. And I ended up taking a teaching job uh, at West Delaware after I took that East Buchanan job. So I actually saw it as a, as an opportunity to be closer to East Buchanan because they didn't have any teaching openings with a head job and then, uh, uh, started coaching, uh, at East Buchanan and, and trying to get out the door of West Delaware as fast as I could. And, um, I, I learned a lot there and there were, there are great people at East Buchanan and I had, and still have some good connections with some players and coaches from there too. Um, but it was just not logistically like a, a good setup at all. And um, my the guy I worked under my first year, the sophomore head coach, Tom King, was just retiring. And, you know, as bad as that was to go in and, and just try to start everything up for a year and then say it wasn't going to work. I, I just felt like in the long run, it'd be something that that I would that I would have to say to myself, like, were you progressing? And, and I didn't think I could learn as much as I could under Wink's tutelage, probably bit off more than I could chew early. So uh, I came back and I, I took over the head sophomore job and, and Wink was very much um, of the mindset that being in that position, um, I still had him, him right there to ask all the questions, but he really let me run that sophomore team uh, like a varsity program. Um, and, and we had some pretty good success. Um, records aside, and I, I don't think this matters a whole lot, but I, I think uh, my first year we went eight and one and probably lost a game that we shouldn't have with a really talented group. And then we inherited a, a, a group that had went two and seven as freshmen the, the next year. And, uh, you know, scrappy group of uh, 16, 18 guys somewhere in there. And uh, they, they flipped that around and went seven and two. And I, I'm not going to take credit for that. I really think that's a, that's a product of being in a program that uh, Wink's tagline over and over and over is expect victory. And it was just so incredible to watch those kids just continue to work and buy into what the process was there. And not, I'm not trying to throw around a bunch of, um, uh, you know, the key terms or whatever, but um, there's, there's not a whole lot that's complicated about it um, from that perspective. So I felt like uh, I, I had kind of sorted some things out that I needed to and, and um, when the job at Osage came open that spring, um, it's, it was coupled with a, a high school English position, which is um, what I've got my degree in and um, took that, took that leap and, and what an awesome five years I had there in a, in a great community, learned a ton. Um, just, I think I really got a good shot at, at building a program. It, they weren't down and out and coach Lawler had, had really done some really great things um, structurally over the years. Um, but they, they probably just didn't have as, a lot of zest, um, at the time. And so it took a little time to, to build that up, but, uh, um, I'm pretty proud of what we accomplished there and, and felt like, um, we had, I'd really built a good staff around me too, that when I left, um, I, I just felt like whoever they hired, we're going to have a lot of capable people around them to help them out and, 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 and felt good about that and still do. Um, so, um, yeah, then after five years at Osage, um, 
I, I just uh, took the head job at Rolling Story about a year ago, a little, just a little under a year ago. Um, and, and of course, uh, man, uh, the hits just keep coming. And I know, you know, I listened to some of the other coaches podcasts, talk about what, you know, the past years look like for them. And I'm, I'm probably not going to give you anything that's, that's crazy, but the transitioning during the, during the heat of that pandemic, um, and when there was so much uncertainty and, uh, was, was tricky. Um, so, um, yeah, we can talk about that a little bit more, but that's kind of been my, my coaching career in a nutshell. And I would say, um, I have a lot of people, I'm, I'm not going to try to name drop too much or anything, but I just have a lot of people who have profoundly impacted me in some interesting ways. Obviously Wink is just up at the top and, and he's one of my best friends, like a, like a big brother to me now. And we talk many times a week, you know, um, I, I would say if we don't talk on the phone three times a week, that's a, that's a rarity. Um, I mentioned coach, uh, Duello and coach Schumacher from Vinton. They just, uh, they just cared about kids and, and ran a comprehensive program. So I was really fortunate to be a part of that too. Um, I, I actually have somewhat of a personal relationship with him too. And, and um, probably had it more so in the, in years past, but um, Brian Kite and Tim Kite and, and the work that they have done and, and kind of the legacy that they've um, left and, and continue to leave on, on the coaching side of things um, just, just helped me sort so many, what would normally be really tricky things um, that seem tough to grab at. They really have helped give a lot of coaches um, great conceptual language uh, to work through sticky and tough situations. And then those big macro things like what what culture is and that gets thrown out a lot. And, and I think they've done a lot to really demystify that. And that's helped me a ton too. Um, during my time at Osage uh, the, and the current DC coach, uh, Chris Kyle, that's there, um, he was actually a fifth grade student um, for Tom Wilson at Dyke New Hartford. And so um, we were able to, to kind of get an inside look at their program. And, uh, you know, the, the adage success leaves clues. And, but it also, so they were so welcoming and, and let us come into some camps and then sit in their coach's office and just ask questions and questions. And, and they always had their cell phone ready to answer any question we had. And we just were like, we couldn't give them anything, you know, like there wasn't anything we could do to really help them, but they just gave and gave and, and continue to do so. And, and so um, coach Bossom uh, is, is a good friend of mine now too. They're, they're defensive coordinator and I probably don't bug coach Wilson nearly enough but I'm really grateful to, to the help they gave and and then from that tree too, coach Don Betts that's at Dyke New Hartford um, when I was at Osage we actually he's an alternative school teacher and I was working with kind of a project-based learning program and we would meet at the same place in Charles City so we we got to have lunch together for a couple years there on the regular and he taught me a lot about running a program too we really never got into X's and O's but um he knew that I was really interested in developing leaders and, and creating a winning culture. And, and he really helped a ton with that. Um, of late, um, I've gotten to be pretty close with uh, coach Evan Groper from North Polk. And then um, more recently, um, he's the offensive coordinator under Mitch Moore at, at Des Moines Roosevelt um, and just a fantastic human being and, and probably one of the sharpest minds in football that, that I've come in contact in person. So, 
um, uh, from an X's and O's standpoint. And, and he really looks at the game the whole way, the whole, the whole athlete too. And so he's been awesome. I'm going to keep blabbering. Cause I got, I just keep thinking of guys that have really had a, an impact on me. And, and these few coaches uh, from my time up at Osage, um, I didn't really, I, I've never really sat down and talked a lot of ball with them. Um, but you learn a lot from your opponents too and, and how they defend you and, and what they're like year to year to year. And, and I just have a tremendous amount of respect for uh, coach Drew Clevenger um, and, and St. Ansker's program. Um, it's, I'll tell you, I'll be honest, um, kind of a humbling moment for me. We had a pretty good team coming off the, 2018 season and and uh we we just really felt like a really solid class of ours um coming into that 2019 season and uh I, behind closed doors I, I was like I just I don't know what St. Ansgar's got I just don't think you know they just don't have much in the tank and I'll tell you that coach Clevenger and his coaching staff it, they just I I learned a really hard lesson that year um, and, and one that I, I think I'll always be grateful for uh, ha being handed a loss, but then watching what that program and the beliefs that they, they instill in the work ethic that they instill in those players, how that transformed into a really special season for them. And, and so um, th that whatever they've got going on there, and, and I'm almost hesitant to ask because I don't want to get told no, and I'm sure he's, he's just a heck of a guy. Uh, it's special uh, and, and people should be asking him every question in the world that they can. And we, we have the most divergent styles of offenses. Um, you know, he's running out of a wish, but he's got a few different sets, but, and, and we're pretty spread and wide open. And so it made for some pretty exciting games. Um, but uh, then uh, coach DeVries and coach Tisdall too uh, at Clear Lake, um, you know, coach DeVries uh, was a childhood hero of mine. I just loved watching him play. And that was kind of my first real rub with with someone who I really looked up to in that capacity, uh, coaching against him and, and the way he's led that Clear Lake program after after, you know, Coach Week had so much success and he just uh, runs that thing with so much integrity and, and, and consistency there, too. Uh, ultimately, too, growing up. Um, you know, uh, my mom had a, a business relationship. Uh, she worked for Berthel Fisher where Hayden Fry was on their board. And uh, I, I just think we've been so blessed in the state of Iowa to have such great co college and university coaches that we've had. And Coach Ferentz, um is is just one of the best. I mean, if, if you ever had a kid, I, I don't I can't think of a coach I'd rather send my my kid to uh, than Coach Ferentz and, and Coach Campbell. Um, obviously what, what he's done at Iowa state and continues to do is remarkable. And coach Farley has just been a consistent winner too, um, against all odds. And so, um, uh, I, I heard somewhere along the line too, that, that you, you kind of emulate or you, you get stuck a little bit, um, as a coach or you have a tendency to get stuck in, in the era that you came, that you came into it. And if, if that's the case, I think I'll always um, I'll always be watching for Chip Kelly. Um, what what he was doing at Oregon in in their heyday was just special to watch, and I think that that really um, piqued my intellectual curiosity with the game. And I think since then, um, you know, I'm an English teacher, and I, I got into English because I liked 
the ideas that were in books and things like that. And, and to be honest, I, I just get so much of a, of an intellectual boost out of, out of the minds that are involved in this game and the people you can learn from. And so learning from, um, or, you know, watching and, and trying to pull everything from Chip Kelly's offense at that time was, was just like a thing that I had to be doing all the time. And so it was a real treat for me to have, uh, Coach Clanton, that's at the University of Northern Iowa now, who played uh, for for Coach Kelly out there. Um, he, you know, he he took time. He'd come up and recruit, and he'd say, "Hey, I'll be in your room at six a.m. if you want to talk ball." And you know, he'd talk ball with me for a couple hours before school would start too. So, um, yeah, I've been. I, I'll, I'll quit blabbering there, but a lot, obviously, a lot of great people that I owe uh, a lot of stuff to. Absolutely, Coach. And it's good to make sure you recognize and give credit to those people who influence you. And I think that's extremely important. So uh, it's time well spent. Absolutely. Uh, Coach, we're going to kind of shift gears a little bit and talk to you a little bit about your offense um, and your kind of offense philosophy. And we'll just start uh, when you became the head football coach at Osage. Um, You know, during your time there, you had a really electric offense, uh, putting up an average of over 400 yards a game. So, you know, for those who had never seen, you know, or ever heard of your formations or your, your offense philosophy, can you describe for us those first few years at Osage and kind of your offensive philosophy? Yeah, I'll probably talk a little bit more offensive philosophy here. So I think one of the big things that, um, that, that Wink was able to share with me early on that really helped me, helped me think about things differently was, a, was a, the number, a numbering system. And I think there's a wing T, an older wing T system that uses something like that, but we just converted it to a spread too. So um, one thing that was really helpful was um, we could talk about uh, any formation on the phone and, and be able to relate stuff. So um, we were really never boxed into like a certain set of formations or anything. And, and so um, starting with that, um, like the, the canvas was always open. We weren't really limited to things. And I, and I think that's a blessing and a curse somehow. And, I, and I've, I've seen it more as a curse as, as I've gone on. And of course, you know, with the, with the abundance of, of uh, information that we've got at our fingertips now and, and free information a lot of times too, uh, you got to be careful what, you, what you, you're grabbing all the time. Um, but uh, I would tell you that, um, again, originally watching Chip Kelly's offense and then, and then the tempo game really take off from there, I was just obsessed with, with being fast. Um, and, and, I think as I've as I've learned more and, and watched what works and what doesn't work on a year to year basis, um, I'm more concerned with using tempo as a tool now. But um, fast was was the mode that year. And and uh, I, what was really special about this and, and Coach Mike Leach has a you know a definition of of balance is not necessarily running. Uh, you know, 30 pass plays and 30 run plays in a game, but making like getting other people, getting kids involved in different places. And uh, one year in particular at Osage, uh, we had three receivers with over 800 yards receiving and a thousand yard rusher. And, and I felt like that was probably the best iteration of our offense that we've had. Bec- and, and we had weapons that, that were ready to roll with that. But I think that was also a product of, uh, of great coaching uh, that came along the way. My assistant coaches were all bought in on our system. And so we just had, we just had receivers and linemen and kids in the waiting in the wings for that next spot. And I think that inner competition 
really helped prime those guys to, to be performers in those big roles. But I can't speak to how important it is. I mean, I know it's like easy to say, uh, well, we had kids. We did have kids. But I really think uh, when you've got everybody bought into their job, you don't necessarily have to have sub sub 11 or, you know, like that type of kid to, to put up that type of numbers. And I really think uh, one thing that was always so frustrating for me at Glacier Clinics um, and all of us offensive coaches have a tendency to drop our favorite defense to, to run or pass against or whatever, whatever suits the, the play to look the best. Um, you, you see so many um, college coaches putting five guys in the box, um, especially with 10 personnel type stuff. And uh, I always, I always thought like, man, if they'd even think about throwing it with five guys in the box right now, like why wouldn't we be thinking about throwing it with six? in the box. There's just space to take advantage of. Um, obviously it's not as simple as that. Um, I, and I grew up in an offense and I can still remember my seventh grade coach saying, you know, uh, only one good thing happens if you throw it right. A bunch of bad things can happen, but I've kind of deviated from that again and, and, and seek to get playmakers, the ball in space as much as possible. Um, and, and probably to a fault have, um, relied on, the, the short passing game, the quick passing game and flat reads as a, as a means to use space. And, and I'm thinking I'm, I am evolving out of that a little bit more. And I'll talk a little bit more about some of that identity stuff uh, later too, and, and how that's evolved. But I, we used um, a pretty basic uh, formation and, and play system Um and, and we're really concept based in everything we did that year um, that we were so effective. Um, and, and I think um, there was still a ton of processing from the kids. And I was just basically like, whatever goes, let's run, let's run stuff that works. But I think a few things that I'm interested in as a result of that experiences and some of the successes and failures we've had since then are sometimes I think plays are, are just good plays. And so what I'm interested in is um, this play out of this formation in this situation or field zone. Like if, if we know how to coach that and we're good at that, like it can have a spot in our offense and we don't have to have a whole family of stuff that fits into that. And I think kind of we box ourselves in too much to saying like, well, how many run concepts uh, do we have? Um, and we did keep it pretty simple that year, but, I've just continued to keep trying to find answers to problems. Um, and, and sometimes that gets a little trickier than not, but um, it is weird. Um, since then, uh, probably it's, it's ended up being about 50, 50 run pass in our offense. Um, we've transitioned a little bit more um, to the Gonzalez passing system. And, and I'm trying to, um, what was so special about that, I, you know, I love those paradigm shifts where, where you learn something totally new for the first time and in a, in a big way. And I think the work that, that Gonzalez has done and, and his book, Read and Shoot, and then his Coach 2 courses, if, if you're interested in learning more about the pass game, um, I think it takes somebody crazy like me, or if you're not smart enough, you got to be crazy enough to, to take a chance on something like that if you're not super comfortable with it. And, and we experimented even after having that success in the 2018 season, I was like, we got to get more efficient. We have to be better and we have to be able to teach and coach that better. So Gonzalez's system 
really helps us talk with our quarterbacks a lot more. And what I would say about that is, you know, the easiest thing for an offensive coordinator to do is call a one word concept, right? We can build a full field concept and say, everybody should know their job and do that. Um, and the hardest thing for an OC to do is, is to really think about a, a full construct and get creative, but still allow it to be pretty simple for the kids. Um, that comes down to some logistics. I just decided eventually here, like I'm okay with banding some stuff. You know, I don't, I don't need to signal everything in and I'm okay with some stuff being verbose, a lot of words. If, uh, if, if our kids know what they're doing and we can do it well. So, um, hopefully that answers your question on, on some of our offensive thoughts, but yeah. Coach. So once you left Osage, right after five years, you kind of built this offense up and, and really turned it into something pretty special. You headed to rolling story. Uh, talk about the transition, right? It's new school, new pandemic, new, you know, new job, new town, uh, new district. I mean, everything you, I mean, everything is new across the board. Your, your life is completely changed. Um, and you come into a program that has a pretty rich tradition, right? But had been, you know, I mean, not in not a negative way, but had been a little bit tougher. I mean, had some leaner years a little bit as of late. So not only was it all the change and everything going on, plus you're, you add that, you know, trying to, you know, I, I want to say it carefully, but turn around maybe or, or build up a once proud program. Yeah, I think, I think it's just as important when you're going into a program that's you know, just like trying to trying to figure things out and whatever, too, that that you don't assume that everything's broken. Right. Um, I, I think that's that that's a lot of hubris or pride to, to assume that uh, that I have the answers for everything and everything was broken. And that's certainly not the case. Um, I, here's what I'd tell you. And this was this was immediately apparent to me, you know, when I when I before I applied, even I talked to some friends who were in the area and one of my friends who I trust really well and, and, and knows a lot of programs in the area said, it, it's one of the best administrations in the state. And um, I, will, I will tell you that day in, day out, I, I, still feel, I still feel that. That's not that we don't have constructive conversations and, and try to work through problems, but I think the, like, I, I just so appreciate people who will look you in the eye and say like, here's where we're at and here's where we need to be and, and what do we gotta do to get there? And so, and that's been, and that's been the MO right now. So, so that's been great. Um, like you said, um, I, I think there are, there are so many variables that go into winning and, and I've, I've never forgotten. It's really stinking hard to win a football game. Um, I, I got to tell you, I just never, I never thought we'd go through a, a season where we didn't win a game, but I think I was, it's just a, a terrible approach to come from, but I, there's also a, a belief, uh, and I think that goes back to my younger coaching days under Coach Wink, that there was an expectation for, for winning that I feel like the, there, were, there were guys on this squad that I inherited that absolutely were locked in and doing everything that they could do. But I'm telling you, as, as someone who's a pretty mediocre high school football player, um, I, there, are, there are guys – that that weren't necessarily contributing on the field that felt that that didn't think that they were important and I don't think that that was a that was a that's not a against any other coaches I'm just saying they they weren't invested in the weight room program they weren't they weren't doing this and so you had this not small but a smaller group of guys that were working pretty hard and then 
people frustrated with with why are stuff why isn't stuff happening right like we're working so the guys that are working really hard are thinking like why isn't this happened for us and and the guys who aren't aren't there they just don't know why you know and so um that was that was tricky especially because um we based so much of 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 our our culture in in doing the work ahead of time and 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 preparing and so when we had kind of that choppy that false start kind of with with the pandemic this summer it, it made for an even trickier situation to navigate with that too um but i i'd say uh at, at this point now um you know and, and and one of the things that um that that i've utilized and got from coach tom wilson a few years back was a, an off-season pride point system and um i think i listened to urban meyer talk about you know you can put a bunch of numbers onto a spreadsheet and then get upset when things, you know, aren't, aren't happening the way you want them to. But, um, I, we post weight room attendance. It's not required to be in the weight room. We can't require it. Um, but we're, there's still conversation piece for coaches, for teammates to have with each other. And, um, quite frankly, we're, we're achieving the success that I wanted to have. I, I didn't tell anybody, here's the percentage I want to hit. I just started posting numbers and, and then we started going and having really intentional conversations and um, it's, it's not, we're not all the way there yet, but I, I'm just really happy with the progress that we've made on the, on the buy-in to the work piece. Um, and we're, we're testing out some of our off season kids right now and some of our basketball players and wrestlers that'll be testing out here at the end of their winter sport. Um, we're seeing some great growth, um, r- really great PRs uh, on some of that stuff. And, and it's just, um, that's building a little bit right now too. So um, coaching staff, um, so interesting. We've got guys that were on some uh, the state title team uh, in the eighties. We just had coach Billerbeck retire, who, who was a coach uh, in the early eighties when they were winning state titles and had seen a lot of success throughout the years too. And so there was some good bridging um, too that happened um, with the staff and, and those guys, it's so awesome to have a group of guys that are just ready to learn and, and eager to pick up a new system and, and, and go run with it. So um, I feel really good about where we're going to. Coach, from the outside looking in, one of the big staples from your program uh, has certainly been your leadership component that you have in place. And and one of the things that you really are harping on and preaching to your players is that one word of trust. So take us through your culture building process um, and how it really is going at Rolling Story. Yeah, so I, I think foundationally, there's so much time that a coach has to, to sit and, and not only um, think, think about what's right for the program, but you got, you got to be true to yourself too. And, and I remember my first, you know, everybody's seen the, the core values tables or charts and, and the behaviors associated um, and, and I think it, it was a Brian Kite medium of some, it was a podcast or something where, where he talked about the three C's of trust. And, you know, the more I, it just, it just ingrained itself in my brain. And I think about that as a construct all the time. And as I got to think about it, there's just like plays in an offense that you want to add or whatever. There's so many other catchphrases, words or whatever, things that you're like, oh, yeah, I want our guys to be tough. I want our guys to be reliable. I want our guys to be this. And and really, you could go down and list an endless list of, of qualities that you would want to see in your players. But 
when, when I came down to it, I just it was like, it just clicked with me one day, like everything that we've ever wanted positive growth out of a player or a coach or somebody around our program, it, it can be filed under one of these things. And so um, I think the other part too is, is we want our kids to play like they're all-stars, even if, even if they're not. And, and I think that happens when, when people start trusting each other and believing. Um, and, and so connection is, is the first piece of this. I'm going to talk about this in two different ways, the way that I've thought about it. From, from the coach's perspective, I think coaches need to build relationships with the connection first. Um, you know, the, the adage, people don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care thing. It, it, it does matter. So connection comes first. And, and I'm, I'm not talking like touchy feely or buddy, buddy. I, I think coaches need to be really careful about that. I, I watch a lot of coaches kind of step into friend zone a lot of times. And, and I just don't think our kids need more friends. I think, I think they need people, mentors and people to look up to and, and give them tough love when they need it too. Um, so that, but that connection piece, you got to establish that first. No one's going to listen to you if they, if they don't think you're, you care for them or, or have that investment in them. And so the next piece then is they, they have to know that you're solid. You know, a lot of times uh, players, players will listen to somebody who, who cares about them. Uh, Urban Meyer and his uh, check under the hood segment talked about third uncles uh, and third uncles around a program are, are, guys, people who've got opinions about football or how you should be doing things that aren't really involved in your process. And they have connections with those kids. Um, and, and not saying they're a bad character or whatever, but kids care about connections first. And then they need to know that you're a solid person too, and that you're going to be there and be reliable. You know, you can't be missing weights. You, you, anything you ask them to do, you need to be able to do yourself. And, and then obviously the last thing is um, competence. They got to know that you know what you're talking about and you're, and you're good at your job um, for, for them to fully trust you as a coach. And so on the flip side of that, um, we talk about players driving the culture too. And, and one thing that, you know, uh, the, the Focus 3 group talks a lot about how culture isn't a poster on the wall. And I, that's not to say you shouldn't put posters up. I think reminders are okay too, but um, those players have a culture that exists in their Snapchat group. It exists in their group text. It exists at McDonald's. It exists where in the locker room. It's everywhere else too. So, so we can pretend like, Hey, coach said so. So that's what we're going to do. But the reality is, is if that's not ingrained and if they're not owning that, then you you've just got a culture by default at that point. And so what we've done more recently is we've talked to our players uh, in our leadership class about effective uh, strategies to improve, improve our, our acumen, our ability to, to, to build trust. Um, and I used to, I used to give a, a, you know, like a 12 course or 12 lecture style uh, leadership curriculum type thing. And I, and I went away from that and we're starting to solve problems in a more Socratic question-based manner where we open dialogue up and, and then start to find, like figure out solutions that are actionable that we can go out and do. Um, so, so from the player's exp uh, perspective, um, I think we all know that we want to play on teams where guys are good at what they're doing. So I, I really think competence comes first there too. 
Um, and then I think the next piece for players is connection. I think you can be on a teammate with a, a bunch of guys that are really good and, and you could have a good experience, even if you're not best buds with them. Um, but I do think that the connection piece comes next. And, and um, obviously you're, you're going to give a, work a little bit harder for guys that you care about. And then I think the character piece isn't an afterthought, but I think if we think back to, to our high school days, to our middle school days, we, we probably had characters in our circle or were characters ourselves that had character issues or whatever too. And, and I just don't remember like thinking about people like that. Now, you know, we can always warn people, you know, you hang out in a barbershop long enough, you're going to get a haircut. Um, but those things don't always register for those, for, for students, you know, so characters kind of a last consideration, but I think one of the other parts to that character teaching thing is we don't, we don't need to create a culture of, of cops, of police. They need to police each other in a way that they care about each other, but it's not a culture of got you. It's a culture of help and support when we see people going down a path that's not in line with their values. And so um, right now, our focus, the character focus for our players is, uh, hey, like your only concern about your teammate is helping them be more reliable. If you know, so so the biggest their their one objective with the character thing right now isn't to go through a person's life and say, well, they're bad, they're not doing a good job with this, or they're making bad choices here. We don't judge people for that. We're trying to help them. So their their job right now is to get into the weight room, right? It's a simple thing, but if we can get somebody consistently showing up to the weight room, we've got a better we got a better grip on them. We can we can have better conversations with them, and you know, so go back to that connection character competence piece there's one place to me and, and from my experience as a player too that that builds that trust consistently and it is the weight room you know you, you build character by showing up and doing hard things struggling on purpose on a regular basis on a consistent basis uh, you build connection with your teammates when you see them going through that same hard thing or you're spotting them and pushing them through that set and then obviously you you get better at your job by being stronger more and faster and, and, and more athletic. So the weight room for us is, is the core of that there too. Um, and, you know, football's equal parts will and skill to me. So I guess like um, we've got to have that internal drive and belief. And I just think if you invest enough in, in, in getting good at what you're doing, it's harder to quit on it. And, and we've just got to start keep, trying to burn that quit out of any guy that feels like he might want to give up at some point. Coach, that's great stuff. As we kind of get down to the, to the nitty gritty here, um, you know, one thing we always ask all of our, our coaches and, and people on our show is, you know, what, what is it that you're studying this off season? Is there anything new scheme, culture, um, strategy, um, any, anything that you are learning right now that you're really spending all your time in and, and what resources and, and why are you doing it? Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, I don't have a lot of hobbies and, and hopefully that bodes well for my coaching career because I've put a, I've invested a lot of time and energy into, into doing the thing I love. And when I get free time, I'm usually doing something like this, but, um, I, uh, so most recently, I, I told you I was pretty interested in, in identity and what that looks like. And, and I've been uh, I, I've, I'm a part of two systems, uh, you know, like I, I paid in because I feel like 
I've, I've seen enough of their ideas trickle out through their Twitter accounts and whatever. I told you, uh, Dan Gonzalez, and I, I just feel like he's full of cr creativity and, and great ways to solve problems. Um, and also um, the big O system and coach Jeff Mullen. And one thing that coach Mullen really helped me think about is, is constraints. And, and, you know, Brian Billick's book on, on how many, you know, you, you really got to dial back and look at how many things can you even do in a season, in a game and whatever, and how much you're going to carry and, and those constraints initially. And kind of as I'm melding some of all this stuff together, um, what I came down to and, and what I've been developing and working on is, um, is in concert kind of with Ryan Day's, Ryan Day gave a, a talk a couple years back on, on buckets that their, that their offense has and, and their identity runs and their identity passes and those different types of those things. And so one thing I'm really interested in right now is um, just on a basis, and this is just kind of a number I came up with, but having four identity runs and four identity passes, having all of the lookalike answers that are built off of both of those families and then uh, and then figuring out all of my situational identity after that. And and I'm telling you, like part of me is where I'm going to allow myself to be a little bit more creative is probably in that situational stuff. And so week to week, um, we should probably be pretty hard to game plan for. But I think ultimately, like in moments of crunch time, we're going to go back to what our guys just know, like the back of their hand. Um, and, and, you know, you have to have an identity and you have to have tendencies before you can break them and have those big, that big thing that pops off for a big one. So um, I'm really interested in, in developing that, not just the, not just the call sheet, um, but developing uh, the, the practice plan that makes sure we're practicing all those things with integrity throughout the week. And then in our weekend process where we develop those answers to the new game plan and, and try to try to contain what we're carrying. So it's not an overload and just everybody's brains are frying at the same time, but also not trying to just stamp creative ideas because that doesn't totally fit what we've done before. I think if we can coach it, we can coach it well and our, our guys truly understand it. Um, I, I think that's where it's at. So um, I'm, I'm going to continue learning from uh, Dan Gonzalez, Jeff Mullen, um, and both of those guys have stuff on, on coach tube um, um, read and shoot. Like I said, for Dan Gonzalez, Jeff Mullen's the big O system. Both of them also have um, uh, more of a client based situation too, which you can, you can kind of get into those families and, and get access to them and ask questions. I'll tell you um, Josh Herring um, has a, has an amazing uh, course on coach tube as well called attitude passes. Um, fascinating uh, new looks at, and a similar attack to Gonzalez. They're, they're related. Their, their systems are familiar. Um, I would check that out. Um, uh, Jason Honstad's um, uh, initial like game planning menu is something like it probably looks nothing like the original one. And I know coach, Keith Grabowski's got them and there's all these going out there, but I would strongly suggest um, getting familiarized with Excel and being able to do that. If you're really into um, getting the most out of your practice, we, we have went to the period timer and have practice down to a T and then we make adjustments with within our constraints again, too. So um, 
yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, I would tell you, I think a big thing initially, and I alluded to this earlier too, was um, I got really stuck into like simple flat reads a lot of the time um, in our past game and was really attached to 10 personnel stuff. Um, and, and I think we've um, coach Mullen recently put out a linebacker read video um, with his, with his big O thing. And there's, and, and Dan Gonzalez has, many different types of reads that you can tag onto the end of a pass play. And it really gives these quarterbacks something to do with their head and their eyes during a pass play. And I can't tell you enough. Uh, you'll never hear like throw to the open guy again, because it's just such a great system for communicating that um, those identity plays for us. I'm, I'm handcuffing myself. So I don't have flat reads as our identity stuff either. Um, and Coach Jeff Mullen, I just can't thank him enough for, for some of the things that he's opened my eyes to in the quarterback read game there with, with the inside and the, and the deeper game.